Hi, this is Pastor Jeff Vines in Los Angeles, California, and all of our staff from all around the world who are involved in Today with Jeff Vines want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome again to Today with Jeff Fines, or welcome for the first time if you've just joined us. Today we're continuing a message from Pastor Jeff, thinking about what if Jesus had not come? The Jesus movement brought with it notions we take for granted today hope, equality, care for the sick and less fortunate. But these were all new concepts for the ancient world. We'll pick up where we left off to finish this message. Here's Pastor Jeff. It was only until the Jesus movement came and Jesus talked about that gender and nationality and economic status should not make a difference with the way we love and treat each other. Read the book of James sometimes. He spends an entire book almost talking about the rich and the poor. In Jesus' mind, in the minds of those who follow Jesus, all were equal, all were to be loved, all were to be valued. Just please understand that that was nowhere to be found in the ancient world until Jesus. And this band of believers, this Jesus movement, believed that every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, wealth, gender, moral background, education, all were to be included and loved and transformed. As a matter of fact, you go to a coin right now in your pocket and you'll find the words of pluribus unum. It means out of the many one. It has its history in the Jesus movement. Jesus believed and his believers believed that we were all, even though we come from diverse backgrounds, we are all one under the sovereignty of God. So every, even your coins, even your traditions, even your Christmas trees, whatever it is, you're going to find your origins all the way back to the Jesus movement. In fact, before Jesus and his disciples in ancient Greece and Rome, it was only the beautiful and the noble and the strong that were valued. If you were weak and marginal in classical society, then you were generally not valued and often you were treated with great brutality. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that if you had a deformed child that child would be thrown into the river and drowned. If you you had a a baby and you wanted a boy instead of a girl, then you would expose them to the heat of the sun or to the cold and frigid air, and they would die slow and painful death. It was agreed that if you were weak, you shouldn't and you don't deserve to be in the world. Seneca, a first century Stoic, said this, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. It wasn't just part of the world, folks. It was part of the known world. But then the disciples came on the scene. Understand what I'm saying? Before the Jesus movement in ancient civilization, there was no equality. And if you were deformed in any way, if you didn't fit into society, you were just killed. And then Jesus came along. And the disciples, after Jesus' departure, remember that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And that started a movement where the Christians started finding children who had been abandoned and taking them into their own homes and nurturing them and caring for them, even though they weren't even related to them. Because the Jesus movement valued life like no movement before. 
In fact, we read about a guy by the name of Beningus of Dijon, a follower of Jesus who nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed children and crippled children, and he saved them from their imminent deaths after failed abortions and exposures. They warned him to stop because he was rebelling against the ancient world. He refused to stop, and they took his life. He gave his life for the compassion of widows and orphans. Now, that movement, the Jesus movement, has sparked that all over our world today. As a matter of fact, do you know that because of the ranks of those who follow Jesus, because they began to grow by the fourth century, the first hospital, you know, the hospital came from the Christians, the Christ followers, you got that. They wanted a place of prolonged care for the sick. And it was developed by a monk by the name of St. Benedict. And he decided to start attaching hospitals to the monasteries so that while they can only pray, not, they can not only pray, but that they actually look for and care for the needs of those who were ill. So that over time, the idea of compassion should be expressed over all who were sick and weak and marginalized began to transform the whole culture and an idea and world that it did not previously exist. There were no hospitals in the ancient world. If you were sick, you were weak and marginalized, you were thrown out. But the Christians came along and said, everybody's created in the image of God and deserves dignity and worth. And compassion began with the Christians. Now, so much so that at the Geneva Convention, an organization was formed, a world organization to alleviate suffering, And they chose as their symbol a cross on a flag, a large flag. What do they became known as? The American Red Cross. All starting from the Jesus movement. Now, after that movement, other movements began to take place. If you go to shopping malls today, you're going to come outside after you shop at Walmart or wherever, Costco, and there's going to be somebody out there dressed up and they're going to be ringing a little bell. Who are they from? The Salvation Army, founded by a man by the name of William Booth, who was a Christ follower and believed that all people deserve dignity and compassion, and those who are fortunate should minister to and assist those who are less fortunate. Anytime you say the word World Vision or YMCA, you know what that stands for, right? Young Men's Christian Association. Anytime that you go to a hospital called St. Jude or Good Samaritan or St. Anthony's or City of Hope, you speak whether you know it or not or whether you admit it or not. You speak of the movement of Jesus and the impact he's had on our world. Now, I'm not saying that there'd be no compassion ever come out of humanity had it not been for Christ. I'm simply saying this, that we who call ourselves Christians, we have to admit that compassion did originate in the ancient world through the Jesus movement, through Christ's followers. And that's why philosopher Mark Nelson says it like this. If you ask what impact Jesus has had on medicine or compassion, he says, I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving, he's talking about for the lowly, the unfortunate, schools, hospitals, orphanage, hospices. In other words, those organizations where there'll never be a, a way to repay. He says, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Hospitals, think about that. Hospi- By the way, have you ever heard of uh, Celebrate Recovery? Okay. <laughs> Big fan of Celebrate Recovery. They wear these little badges that says, I have issues. And the reality is every one of you in the room have issues. I have issues and you have it too. They're the only ones willing to admit it. And the reality is if you don't have issues or don't think you have issues, it's because you're in denial. That's an issue and you still have issues. (laughs) And so here's the point. Celebrate Recovery comes out of a, a thing called 12 steps. Step one of Celebrate Recovery says, we admitted we were powerless over the addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. That's very similar to AA. And it's step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, what you may not know is the 12 steps recovery movement came out of something called the Oxford Group, which is, was a community that basically set out to reclaim the practices of Jesus for transformation. Do you understand? If you have no Jesus, you have no 12 steps. No Jesus, no AA. No Jesus, no transformational power. 
to overcome whatever it is that's destroying your life. Now, I am not saying that apart from Jesus, there would never have been some kind of actionable plan of human kindness or transformational practices. I'm simply saying that as a matter of historical reality, it all began with a poverty-stricken, crucified carpenter. It's amazing. Jesus impact our world. Now, this is my favorite one. Do I still have you? I, I, I'm winding up here, or winding down rather, winding down, winding up. stay with me. My favorite part though is this. I do not think we realize the impact Jesus made on education. Now, I want to read to you something from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is a central tenet of Judaism still to this day. But I want you to notice the distinction between those words and Jesus' words in Mark 12, 30, when he says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What does he mean to love the Lord God with all your mind? Do you know that in the ancient world, there were no textbooks? Imagine a world with no textbooks or no books at all because there were no printing presses. It's hard to imagine that, what it would be like. When I think of that, it's just so mind-boggling because why then today do we have so many classical texts of Roman, Greek, and of those major thinkers somehow we've managed to write and record? And you know, the main reason we have education today is because the fourth century monastery communities, those same communities that built hospitals attached to the hours of prayer, they were the ones who acquired, preserved, and transmitted knowledge. And I'm not talking about just knowledge of the Bible. I'm talking about knowledge of the world, of everything. Thomas Cahill, in a work called How Are the Irish Saved Civilization, categorically states that the single greatest preserver of classical documents were the followers of Jesus who believed that all truth was God's truth, that we learn it all and we love it all. And the more we learn about God, the more we learn about the world, rather, the more we learn about God. And so they started building these edifices. You realize the idea of a school building, a place of school, a building, walls, edifices like at Paris and in the 13th century, Oxford, and then in the same century, Cambridge, and then on to Naples, Rome, and Vienna. You do realize that these were the brainchild of Christians who wanted to love God with all their minds, and they truly did believe that the more you learned about the universe and about science and about math and about the universe, the more you learned about God. Imagine that. And that's why the first places of learning were called higher learning were called universities, which means unity and diversity. They were called unity and diversity because the idea was that you were supposed to learn all these diverse uh, sciences and maths and studies, but ultimately in all this diversity, they were unified under God, the sovereign God who created and sustains all things. Don't you, I mean, wouldn't it have been amazing to think what the world used to be like when it was believed that science and faith were not only compatible, they were inextricably tied together. And the more you learned about science, the more you learned about God. And the more you learned about math, the more you learned about God and his world. So the Christians encouraged people to study the stars and the galaxies and the single cell organisms and math and social and political studies because they truly did believe that the more you learn about the world, the more you know about God, which is why in Colossians chapter one, verse 16, the apostle Paul said, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now I'm not saying, that is not to say that science could not have arisen any other way, but in the words of Denise D'Souza, science as an organized, sustained enterprise arose only once in human history in Europe in the civilization then called Christendom. By the way, just as a little side note, if this is the kind of thing you like, there's a great book written by John Ortberg called Who Is This Man? And you need to get a copy of that and read it. You're going to find so much more than what I've shared with you here. But I will tell you this, 
that most of us have no idea that almost everything you touch in the American civilization and in, in, in the Western world is impacted and influenced by Jesus. This tiny little baby born in a cave who never held a political office, who never led a military campaign, and yet has had this kind of impact on the world. I want to read to you something. Stay with me. I'm almost done. I want to read to you something quickly, quickly. I want to read to you something. This is out of a college handbook of a popular university in America. I want you to try to guess. Here's what it says. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3, and therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Did you see that? To lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And that was written in 1646 in Harvard's Rules and Precepts. Yale, Harvard, William and Mary, Princeton, Brown, all but one school started before the American Revolution began out of the Jesus movement. 92% of the 108 colleges or universities founded in America were begun by followers of this man, Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth who never wrote a book, who never held an office, crucified by the Romans. In fact, you know it was the Christians who invented the first dictionaries, the Christians who invented the first grammars, They developed the first alphabets and the first proper name in most languages was the name Jesus. And today the gospels are translated into more than 2,200 languages, more than any other language, not even close, not even close. No other book, no no other work of literary antiquity comes to even one-tenth. So that means without Jesus, folks, there'd be no Dante, whose divine comedy was the primary shaper of modern Italian. There'd be no Martin Luther, whose German Bible became the primary shaper of German language. There's no Johannes Bach, who signed all of his works to God be the glory. There'd be no Hallelujah Chorus, no Messiah, no Gregorian chants, no Mozart's Requiem, none of that. In fact, you do realize that modern music was invented by the Jesus movement. They wanted to come up with a way of spreading out and communicating the glory and majesty of God through song. And so they came up with this little note system. And now every time you pick up a sheet of music, and if you've taken basic piano, every good boy deserves fudge. And if you've taken that and you see that, every time you read a sheet of music, you know it, whether you know it or not, you are reading and looking at something that has its origins in the Jesus movement so that all people through song and preaching would know about the glory and the majesty of God. Now, here's the end. Look at the Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and have been endowed by the creator with certain rights. Now, where did that idea come from? This is, man, this is the the core. This is the Declaration of Independence. Who says that, man, all men are created equal? Who who says that we have inalienable rights? The Goths didn't. Neither did the Huns or the Nazis or the Cassists that still exist in India today. The idea, the thought and belief that all men have been created in the image of God and are loved by him came from the Jesus movement. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul wrote the words that he wrote in Galatians 3.28, it would have sent shockwaves through the ancient world. He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, rather, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Thomas Cahill writes that in the words of the apostle Paul, this is the very first expression of egalitarianism in human history, that every human being has equal dignity and worth. Now, we often miss the mark, don't we? This is the end. You're almost there. I see a lot of people yawning. I don't know if the material's boring or if you're just sleepy, but 
Stay with me to the end, okay? I know we miss this mark often. I'm from the South, which is a problem. Because Christians in the South not only did not stand against racism, in a very real degree, they were the instigators of racism through some really bad hermeneutics and theology. But the reality is, Every time somebody says, well, what about this, Pastor Jeff? You Christians have blown it. Well, first of all, you'd only known that we blew it if it was for the Jesus movement. Because in ancient civilized world, there was no such thing as equality. So first of all, understand that Jesus brought the sense of equality that you hold so dear. Second, second, yes, Christians have blown it. But you also must understand and admit that even though there have been times and seasons in the lives of the Christians where they've blown it, It's only a matter of time before the power of Jesus and his teaching, his life, and his presence. It has a subversive way of refusing to stay submerged. And sooner or later, there's going to be a Christ follower who stands up and says, wait a minute, this is not right. William Wilberforce, 17 17 years he fought to bring an end to the slave trade in Europe. But then, and this is how I want to end, then there's my most favorite speech given in American history, the most famous speech of all. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. I love this speech. Martin Luther King is speaking from a prepared text and he throws in a quote from Amos and he says, we will not be satisfied till justice rolls like the water, till righteousness rolls like a mighty stream. And at that point, the crowd goes ballistic and they start saying, preach it, man, preach it. Like he's a preacher and they're the audience. So they're the congregation. And then he leaves his text. And if you listen to the speech, his wife behind him says, tell him about the dream, tell him about the dream. And he shifts from Amos to Isaiah. And he says, I had a dream. I have a dream that one day children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He says, I have a dream that every valley would be raised up and every mountain be brought down and the glory of God will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And of course, I can't deliver it like him because I'm too white. But the reaction is, man, he could deliver it. He could pound on it. People say, yes, brother. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, it's beautiful. Now, here's the point I'm making. Everybody, there's always somebody who says, well, you know, you don't know Martin Luther King Jr. that well. Look, I'm telling you, everybody's got something wrong in their lives. You follow me around for a week and a half. You'll know who I really am. The bottom line is all of us have frailties. All of us have sins and failures. But here's a guy that was willing to give his life for equality because he believed that up there could come down here, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave his life for it. And it all... It all comes out of the Jesus movement. Martin Luther King Jr., you say whatever you want about him, but the man lived what he believed and he was willing to die that every man and woman have equal dignity and be looked at and created in the image of God. And these Christians, this Jesus movement, they suffered for what they believed, man. Tacitus, the Roman historian, writes about how the Christians were used by the emperor. They would be set on fire, covered in pitch and set on fire and serve as lamps for the gladiatory games. So the gladiators would come in. The light was the burning of Christians all around the arena. And now how did they respond? See, this is what Martin Luther Jr., uh, King Jr. understood so well that we don't give him anywhere near enough credit for. How did the Christians respond? Did they dream of revenge? Did they plot a rebellion? Did they begin an underground movement to take over the throne? No, do you know how they responded to Nero when he blamed the Christians for the fires of Rome that set off crucifixions line after line on the road in and out of Rome? How did they respond? They prayed for him and they loved him. That's just not natural. 
Because this carpenter of Nazareth, from Nazareth, who never held an office, who never wrote a book, who never led a military campaign, told them in Matthew 5, turn the other cheek, go with him two miles, love your enemy, and bless those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. I am trying simply to say that every direction you go in the Western world, you will find it has been impacted by Jesus. The Jesus, every time you go to school, Every time you read music, every time you listen to a song, every time you come to church, of course, you're going to put a Christmas tree up in your house, most of you. You're going to decorate it with little ornaments. You're going to have wreaths over your door. You're going to have little candy canes. I could go on and on about how all that touches and goes back to the Jesus movement. But now let's pull out my favorite little ornament. Yeah. Since the first time I saw this in Jekyll Island, Georgia in 1987, I love this. And here's why I love it. Because every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of the universe. But the real question is, he's made an imprint and impact on the world, but he hasn't, has he made an impact and imprint in your life? How do you know if he has? Because if he has, and truly has, you're not about self-preservation. You're about self-sacrifice. And you have a heart and passion running through your veins for people who are in need. And you don't judge them. You come to their rescue. And you just look for people who are dead men and women walking so that you can take them in. And with compassion, give them the hope that only Jesus brings. See, if that's not in your life and you walk out of here and every day of every week is about how much more money you can make, what you can do for yourself, but you never take the time to invest in others, you're not part of the Jesus movement because the Jesus movement knew that what set it apart, what defined it was to learn all that we could about the world so that we could learn about God. And as we learned about God, we would have a love and care for others. And we would give our lives away. I want us to get this Christmas thing right. And the reason some of us aren't in the spirit, how can you get in the spirit of true Christmas when all you think about is this consumer of buy, buy, buy rather than give, give, give? I'm challenging all of you to find one family. Think about what would happen. Think about the wave. If all of you found one family this holiday season to do something special for. And if you're telling me you don't know of a family in need, that says something else about you. Find a family and take the meal on Christmas Eve. Take an hour out of your time and give it to somebody else. Take, take a bicycle to a kid that you know is not going to have one. Find out a family that's hurting that you can minister to. Get this Christmas thing right. That's the Jesus movement. And if we're not doing that, man, we just don't get it yet. His impact and influence on everything in society Jesus stepped into time and space. He is God with us. And now because he's with us, he inspires us and we give ourselves away to others. Let's get it right, okay? Let's get it right. One person, one-on-one, -on -one, that would be what? 10,000 people impacted. We can do it. And that'll help us get this Christmas thing right. I'm praying for you. I'm pulling for you. I'm also watching you. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for the impact of Jesus in our lives, in our world, on our society and education. 
in uh, compassion and hospitalization and, and caring for those and giving dignity to those who are suffering, who are living lives that are less fortunate. I pray that we would be less judgmental and more loving and kind and compassionate. I pray, Father, that you would overwhelm us with the spirit of Christmas, which is to give, to be people of great generosity. I pray that you would help us fight the temptation to be uh, self-aggrandizing or self-promoting. Instead, we would be self-sacrificing that the world may know This Jesus that we say we believe in has impacted our life to such a degree that we live different lives. We treat people differently. We love people. We express compassion. And Father, as we go out to preach the good news of the gospel, let our actions speak louder than our words. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Vines from Los Angeles, California. Can I tell you that this Christmas is going to mean something very special to me? Even those of us who preach the gospel often and spend a lot of our days in the Word of God, as you grow and mature in your faith, you start to see things perhaps you've never seen before, and this is one of those years. And the reason is because I have a granddaughter now, and I've learned something about the love of God. You know, the Bible tells us that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more then can God give good gifts to those who love Him? I thought I had understood this until I had a granddaughter. This Christmas is going to mean a lot to me because I feel like I've regained the wonder. My little granddaughter came into this world. Her name is Ada, totally dependent upon her parents to bathe her, to clothe her. In fact, when my daughter-in-law, Jessica, was pregnant with Ada, I remembered how much a child depends on the parent. But the other thing is when little Ada grows up now, she's almost three years old, she walks into a room totally confident that everybody's interested in everything she has to say. Whether intelligent, non-intelligent, everyone's interested. And it reminded me that Jesus actually said that unless you become a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as children, Christmas holds so much wonder because God himself holds so much wonder. And sometimes we lose the wonder of Christmas because we lose the wonder of God. Jesus is trying to help us understand that God loves us. If we can love our grandchildren the way we love our grandchildren, how much more then can God love us? And I'm reminded of how dependent I am on God, really dependent, that anytime I take confidence in my self-righteousness, it's only a day or two when I realize that every time I take two steps forward, I seem to take three steps back. I need forgiveness every day of my life. I need grace. But the other thing is, If you don't understand how much you depend on God, then quite frankly, you won't depend on God for every moment of your life. When you start to somehow in the course of life devalue the love of God, that is that Jesus is actually interested in every thought you have. Every time you walk into a room, he wants to know what you're thinking. He cares about every event of your life. See, if you have too low a view of Jesus, you can't approach him childlike. And if you have too high a view of yourself, you can't approach him as a child approaches the parent. I've understood perhaps for the first time, if God loves me, 
like I love my little granddaughter, Ada, who will often ignore me, (laughs) but I still love her, who will often go throughout her day without thinking of me, but I still love her, and who will often do things to manipulate me, and yet I still love her. If I, though being evil, can love my granddaughter, how much more can God love me? And that reminds me the wonder of Christmas has to do a lot with the wonder of God that in my humanity, although sometimes I ignore God, although sometimes I show no interest, although sometimes I become self-serving, self-aggrandizing, downright narcissistic, God never stops loving me. And quite frankly, I'm amazed at that. I hope that you will regain the wonder of Christmas as you regain the wonder of God and how much he loves you. It is immeasurable. Merry Christmas, everybody. 